most of my friends are female influencers. Gary, you would be horrified if you saw their DMs. Horrified. It's, it's Coming on to them or being abusive? A bit of both, but more so coming on to them. They're the ones I've seen. And I've physically seen them. I've seen them in person. You know, I've been in a bar with with female influencers and somebody well-known would send them a message telling them they wanted to be with them and this kind of stuff. And it, it's, it shocks me. Hello and welcome back to our first episode of Series 3 of Gary Talks. And we have a great episode to start off the year for you. This week I'm joined by my friend for many years, Alan Clark. In this episode, Alan talks about his time working in radio, dealing with online abuse, meeting a fan in a car park at night, his brilliant podcast, Big News Coming Soon, and the upcoming plans for it, having fun with River Rock, how his gin, Cookie, came about, the struggle at the start to make it work and why it's hard to sustain such a business, the challenges of being in a relationship when focusing so much time and energy on new businesses, finding your true worth and working for it, his big charity event for this year, and his new clothing company, Northern Hemisphere. There's lots of honesty and food for thought by Alan in this podcast, and I think it's important to hear the struggles of both running various businesses and being an influencer in today's opinionated world. There's lots of great wisdom and stories in this podcast. So sit back, relax and enjoy. This is a GK Media Podcast. Alan Clark, thank you for joining us on Gary Talks. Usually I start off the show by giving someone's title, right? Oh God. (laughs) And I've known you since, I think we've known each other since 2011, around about then when we were working together in Goib FM. And I started doing a list at home this morning of the different roles that I know you've done, right? And there's probably more to add, but this is what I have. Radio presenter in a number of radio stations, podcast host for Big News Coming Soon, which I highly recommend, videographer with Alpha Media, marketing campaign manager, social media manager. You are a retail manager before. You're also a nightclub manager in Castle Bar. You were a club DJ, events manager, band manager or managing musicians, owner and founder of Cookie Gin, owner and founder of Northern Hemisphere Clothing Line, which is a new initiative. We'll talk about that. And also, you're an influencer because you have a massive following online, 85,000 on Instagram, 34,000 on Facebook, and 33,000 on TikTok. How would you describe yourself? Would you believe you're the first person that ever wrote down all those, and it's the first time I've ever heard it back. Yeah. And when you're talking there, I'm thinking, God, I'm mental. You, to me, are this guy who just has an abundance of energy and you're really creative. But the thing about it is when you go and do something, you do it really well. And I mean that absolutely genuinely. You know, I think sometimes there's this thing of entrepreneurs and they, they, you know, they have a go at everything and anything and anything they see, they're going to, you know, they're going to throw their hat in there and, and see what they can do. But anything you've done and look back at, I mean, a few years ago, you came up with gin. I was like, wow. And there's loads of other things you've done in the past, but like that was done really well. And I see it every time I'm in Ireland West Airport, knock. But even a clothing line like Alpha Media, anything you started up, you did it well and you do it well. I see it as a bit of an illness, whereas you probably see it as uh, creativity and entrepreneurial or entrepreneur. I don't know, Gary. I, I just, I think I go into these things and I just want to give them 110%. And I probably do them too well and they don't make money or I, I lose money because I, I try focusing on doing them too well. Whereas if I cut a few corners, maybe mm-hmm. it might have been a business or it might have went a little bit different. But let's go back to when we first met in the radio station. So you came in and you were a breath of fresh air. You were really good on air and you were actually sound. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah. And you just got on well with everyone. There was always kind of positive energy around you. Um, well, not everyone would say that now, to be fair, but I did, I did try at the start. Yeah, yeah. I was big into it. I was big into radio and I was big into getting on and getting on with people and, and progressing. Yeah, yeah. And you were doing all the really cool slots, you know, weekends at night, which again, mightn't sound exciting, but they were, for me, some of the best shows. You were doing breakfast show, you were doing 
they used to split the radio station into county frequency and city frequency and you're on the city one, which is all kind of upbeat music, uh, kind of chart pleasers at the time. Like you just, you found the ground very quickly and you were just running and making a name for yourself there. I didn't see it as making a name for myself at the time. I, I was trying to be versatile and, and try to do a bit of everything and just try to fit into all the slots. You know, like you say there, and it's only now when you talk about it, it, it brings back memories where, yeah, at 11 o'clock you had to kind of change your voice because it was the love hour or the slow, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you had to kind of, and then at half six the next morning you had to be the happy-go-lucky, I haven't a care in the world guy. Yeah. You know, and I just tried my best to, to fit into as many roles as I could. And then Saturday morning, you'd be called in to do the country show. And sure, I didn't know one country song from another. <laughs> but I was ringing Stuart Miles and he was writing down 10 of the most popular songs for me. Brilliant. And I'd rock up and do the gig and people thought, "I, geez, you know, you know country music inside out. <laughs> I hadn't a clue only the 10 songs I was given before the show started. <laughs> but did you enjoy it? I did. Ah, oh, stop. I enjoyed every minute of radio, every single minute. And I'm lucky that I got to work in Shannonside, um, Galway Bay and Midwest because they're three totally different places and I think when you get the opportunity to work in those three different places you really appreciate the differences mm. you know because the Midwest radio listeners are hardcore okay like they don't let you away with anything and in Galway then you can get away with it you can get away with more you can you can kind of push the boundaries a little bit at eight o'clock in the morning in Galway and people will react to it or people will say that was a bit of crack if you push the boundaries a bit in Midwest, they kind of don't take it as well. Did, do you get much like negativity from people when you're in radio from listeners texting in? Not really. Um, I guess at the start, when you're filling in for somebody, you get the odd kind of, when is he back? Yeah. <laughs> and you just, you, and you can be filling in for 20 years for a guy. And the same person will send the same text the minute they're off. I And I, I have this story with David Cawley in Midwest. I used to cover the breakfast show and he has one particular hardcore follower and hardcore listener. I'm, he has more, but I'm just giving an example of this one. And one morning, on Monday morning, I was filling in and during the weather. So the it starts with the news, then you, you read the weather and then the show starts. During the weather, I said, uh, today it'll be eight degrees, blah, blah, blah. First text on the screen in front of me, when's David back? <laughs> the show hadn't even started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just doing the weather. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the kind of negativity you'd get. And then when I was in Galway Bay doing the breakfast show, Ollie and I would have this kind of rivalry, Mayo v Galway. Mm-hmm. And we used to play up on it because we got a great reaction to it. And the only negativity you'd get is, why are you talking about Mayo? This is a Galway station. Right. You'd get the odd one of them. Yeah, yeah. But I, it, it would be very rare I'd get the, get off the radio, you're only a, yeah, see, I was caught a lot for pronunciations. So I would say Crow Park instead of Croke Park. Right. I'd always get mixed up when I was talking about something and saying seen or instead of saw. Oh, that, I got that a good few times. Yeah. I must have been the same guy then. I have saw or I have, have seen. seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I remember someone actually rang up before and I did a, a hurling story before, a football story. I, I don't know if I told you this before. And someone rang up into the radio station and I got a call from reception saying someone wants to speak on the phone to you. I said, yeah, no worries. I'll take the call. So they called me a see you next Tuesday because I did a hurling story before a football story. And they said, everyone knows football always comes before hurling. And I hung up the phone. And from that day on, I always did a hurling story before a football story. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, there was kind of abuse. It was nothing like what you get nowadays in social media. People think they have an entitlement, I think, when they're listening to the likes of Galway Bay or Midwest for 20 or 30 years, they feel like they ha- own a part of it. Mm-hmm. And they feel like they can ring you and direct you and kind of say, this is the way it should be done because that's the way it's always been done. Yeah. I, I And the thing I found as well with Midwest was if you're out doing an outside broadcast, you'd have the hardcore followers and they'd be up to you. Who are you? And where are you from? And asking you very, very personal questions because they need to know exactly who you are, where you're from, who your family are. Mm. And they, they want really, really personal information from you. But then let's look at social media. Because two things there. I mean, one, we kind of do let a bit of our personal lives leak into social media because we're trying to be transparent and show who we are. But then I suppose you know, the fear that many of us have and have, exp- you know, it's become a reality is the negativity and the bullying and the harassment you get online then as well. Like you have a phenomenal amount of followers, you know, 140,000 collectively, we'll say between the three main channels that you're on. 
I've heard you speak about it before on your podcast. I mean, you have gotten people being quite cruel to you online. Absolutely. You get it every day of the week. Every day of the week you get it. But I only spoke about this to somebody recently and you, you can get it six days a week and it won't bother me five days, but it'll bother me the sixth day. And then I just look at it and I, and I just look at myself and I just say, well, why did that affect me today? Why? What's what's wrong with me that that's upsetting me? Because I I don't give any time to people I don't know. If you rang me up and told me I did something wrong, then mm-hmm. I'd, I'd genuinely think about it and I'd say, geez, why did I do that? Or... I'd have to consider what I said. But I mean, a complete stranger sliding into your DM telling you you're only a, a C-U-N-T. It, it's water off a duck's back because they obviously have something going on, you know. But was it always water off a duck's back? I think so. I, th- I think I've always been well able to, to handle it. I mean, like, like I say, there'd be times where to get you down or there'd be times... I remember when I took over from Molly and the, the breakfast show in Galway Bay, like for the first few weeks, there was the same two phone numbers texting in saying it's not the same you know or when you know why did he go or why did you take over and then fair enough Jordan you'd be you'd be in the middle of your floor or whatever and it would knock you for a few minutes but then you'd say to yourself right it's the same phone number it's coming in every two days like what's going on with that person that they're sitting at home and they're copying and pasting this message every two days just to try and get under yeah. your skin. If it was coming in from seven different phone numbers every day, then I'd start questioning, is there something I need to do or is there something I'm doing wrong? But I was focusing on the 30 good ones that were coming in rather than the same copy-paste message from the same phone number that was coming in every second day. And have you ever been tempted to just delete an account? Oh, yeah. I, I was tempted to pack it all in the time that um, Ashley Murphy was was murdered. I, I found that time very, very difficult. It was very difficult to be on social media. And this isn't a man versus women thing, but I, I found it very difficult to be a male influencer during that time because not anything I did was 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 related to that incident. Yeah, because it was a, a 5K run on or something like that. And I think you reshared it for someone. The, the day after she was murdered, somebody asked me to share a run for a guard that was murdered. And my family are, are guards and I have lots of friends in the guards. And I said, yeah, no problem. I'll share this. Look, you'd be asked to share charity events 10 times a day. And mm. I mean that now, genuinely, a minimum of 10 times a day, you'd be asked to share a GoFundMe or a charity event. So I only, I only share stuff that I'm personally involved in. And I shared this and then I thought nothing of it. And I wasn't on my phone for a few hours. And then I came back to my phone and my phone had lit up and I was like, whoa, what did I do? And it was all like how insensitive I was because I shared a charity run that was happening the month later and it was the day after Ashley Murphy was killed and the hashtag she was out for a run. So I was public enemy number one for, for doing that. And I don't know, did I take it down or what did I do at the time? I think I'm, I, I'm not sure. But then later on that night, I walked my dog as I always do around the lake in Castlebar and it was eight or nine o'clock in the evening and it was dark and I, I walked the dog and then suddenly the phone lit up again that I was showing off, showing off my privilege to walk the dog on my own at nighttime carefree in Castlebar. Yeah. And it's not, you're not carefree in Castlebar. There was one night somebody was at my car waiting for me when I got back to my car. And, but like I never spoke about that on social media. You know, people just think you're out there living your best life walking around the lake. I don't walk the lake late, late at night. I'll do it at eight or nine o'clock. After 10 o'clock, as a man, I would genuinely be nervous yeah. walking around it. But, you know, there was, a, there was a couple of other things around that time. And you were going to just call it a day, really? I, I rang my friend, Kieran O'Malley, at the time, and I was about to start a football match. And I was really, there was something, I can't remember the exact details now, but there was something that really affected me about that. And I said, I, I just can't do this anymore. And I was, I was obviously low at the time because it was affecting me so much. And I was playing the football match and I remember the ball came to me and it just hit off my legs and I wasn't playing mm. because all I was thinking about was going out to the car and turning off my Instagram. And somebody said to me, what's the story? And I said, I might have to go out to the car for a minute. And then I didn't and I continued on the match and then I rang here and then on the way home and he, he kind of talked me down off the ledge, so to speak. Mm. And he's great for that and he's always been a great support like that. But definitely uh, there was a few days where I was, I didn't want to be on social media and I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to be involved in that kind of thing. Yeah, like someone who I know posted up 
something recently as well about Ashley Murphy and her anniversary and, you know, this Slovak scumbag who raped and murdered her. And I just sent a, a DM to that person saying, look, you know, I don't think she was raped, so I wouldn't be putting up comments like that. And I said, you know, this person who's been charged, they haven't been convicted yet. So, you know, we have to be careful what we say online. And then they had to go at me. And then when I was trying to explain, I'm not having a go at you. I'm just saying, you know, we shouldn't say things online if we don't know them to be factually correct. I was like, wow, it's, you know, and then they were saying you should have just said it in the comments. And I was like, no, because I didn't want to go into this online front page. Tit for tat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, you know, even sometimes when you actually just try and give someone a heads up, uh, they nearly take the head off you first. Now that you say it, actually, myself and another friend of mine were talking about this at the time she passed and we were under savage pressure. Like our DMs were lit up, people asking us at the time why we hadn't mentioned it. Why have you not mentioned it? And I have this thing, and I don't know if you'll agree or not disagree, but I think people are so quick to own other people's grief. And I see this thing now last night where everyone is sharing a picture with Christy Dignam or mm. Christy Dignam was in my car and Christy Dignam was here and Christy Dignam was there. And I just don't really agree with that. You know, and as I don't know Ashley Murphy. It was a tragic, tragic thing that happened. And yeah. if there's anything I can do to prevent it happening again or anything I can do, anyway, I will do it. But I don't feel me coming on my stories, talking about it, because I don't know anything about it, mm. is going to help anyone. Yeah. And I think people are very quick. Like, I was working in the radio station at the time and people were ringing up organising these vigils and it was lovely. It was a lovely thing. But then you had people organising vigil, vigils in these tiny little villages that hold, might be a population of 100 people, where they'd all be going into the, the bigger village up the road. And then, I, for me, I felt you had people organising vigils just to be busy and just to be seen to be doing something. Yeah. But it wasn't a genuine attachment. And I think, I could be wrong. I could be wrong in that, but I think people are very quick to jump on grief. Mm-hmm. The same when, when Richard uh, Grogan passed yeah. on TikTok. You know, people were saying to me, I had a, a, a dealing with him, you know, and people were saying to me, you know, how come you didn't reference it or how come you didn't do this or that? Like, I could have contacted the family and I could have, I could have, paid my condolences. I don't have to put it on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have to come on and say, oh my God, he passed away. It's sad and now we're going to miss him. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you're only doing that for views for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Because there is this vanity thing with it. You know, even when I post something up online, I'll hop in an hour later just to say, oh, I wonder how many people have actually viewed it. And because you, you want to feel that the content you're putting out there is connecting with people and they're liking what you're putting out there and so on. But there is a certain vanity in it as well, I think. Um, and I think it's good to draw that line of we can't just be putting stuff out there to gain views if it's not really the moral thing to do. I, I think, yeah, there's a bit of an attention seeker in us all and that's why we do it. And that's why we put out this content. And like you say, you put up a video and you come back to it an hour later and you see, how's that doing? How's mm. that doing? But I, I wouldn't use... Like, I, I just kind of use whatever's fresh at the moment, but I certainly wouldn't consider using a death unless I had a personal attachment to somebody. You talk about Richard Grogan in your podcast, Well, Big News Coming Soon. It's it's a really, really funny story. So I It wasn't I, funny at the time. No, no, no. <laughs> but he seems like such a cool guy once you hear the story. Yeah. That he, was, he was so cool. But I, I highly recommend, like, what are you doing with Big News Coming Soon at the moment? Because I know you're doing your own individual interviews and then there was the ones that you did with Karen, and then you got to kind of go to some fantastic European cities as well. So the first season Karen and I teamed up together and we produced a season just talking about school and dating and relationships and anything that was relevant at the time because we both had a bit of time on our hands uh, to meet up and do that. His job has just got so busy and I my job has got so busy and he's in Galway and I'm in Mayo. So it's, it's, it's difficult to keep the commitment up of a, a duo. Yeah. Also, I wanted to go off and, and interview people in a longer format and, and kind of sit down and, and talk to people. And Kieran would be fantastic at that as well. But I think if there's three voices in the room, I think it can get a bit lost. So we just decided that I would go and do my own season for one. And then after the second season, I just had so many people. To be honest with you, a couple of people contacted me and asked me, could they come on it, that they wanted to tell their story. So that's how the third season started. But Kieran is going to be drifting in and out of the third season. He's going to be doing a few few bits with us. And and hopefully I'd love to do another season with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's so, so funny. 
And like the, the, the in-depth interviews you do are excellent. Thank you. It's amazing how just ordinary people have such extraordinary stories and at the same time, as extraordinary as their events are, we can still relate to them so well. And yeah. it's great. And that's what I love about podcasting, which I suppose none of us were afforded the luxury with radio, was that long form style of interviewing. Yeah, I'm lucky with the guests I've had as well that they're not afraid to talk mm. because a, a lot of people are, are find it difficult. You know, so I've been really lucky that they're, they're, they open up easily to me and I get some good information from them and, and I get some good learning from them. Can you tell me about what happened at your car in Castlebar that there was someone waiting for you? Because that sounds fairly scary. I had an admirer. Right. A male admirer. Okay. And this was, I don't know, back at the time where I might have had 20,000 followers or 25,000 followers. I don't know, somewhere around there. At the stage where you'd be kind of replying to most people mm. and trying to, you know, you'd be doing your best to talk to as many people as you could and acknowledge them and say thanks a million. And um, he had just shown me a bit of interest. And I had said, thank you very much. It's flattering, but I'm not that way inclined. And it it kind of persisted then a little bit to messages of I, I would be somewhere at a particular time. So then this it kind of changed me from if I was, say, eating in the Foxford Woolen Mills, I wouldn't put up a post that I was eating there until I left. Okay. So I'd take the photo and then I'd put it up as soon as I've left. Because it started off, and it's happened a few times since, but it started off where a few people would arrive and come in looking for you. And there's no harm in them. They just want a photo or they just want to meet you. Um, and it's very, and I find it difficult to talk about because who am I? Who am I to have somebody just randomly showing up to a hotel or a restaurant to come in and see you? It's mad. When I yeah, but people again connect with you because I think two things, you wear your heart on your sleeve. Like you are very transparent and open and honest, even, you know, listen to the podcast, but you always were. If things aren't amazing and rosy, you don't make out that they are. You kind of say it as it is. Yeah. But the stuff you do as well is really funny. <laughs> I'm not in it for the views and I'm not in it for the followers, but I'm lucky that the views and the followers have come. You know, same with the podcast. I sat down and spoke to Lisa Sullivan Shaw yesterday and just had a great chat with her for, mm. for two hours. I didn't once check to see how many times it's been downloaded because I just know that her story has helped at least one person. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's good enough for me. And it's the same with the Instagram. I never wanted to be an influencer. I, always, I was always in the background helping influencers and marketing influencers and singers and, and public figures. And then I was giving them the advice and then my page just took off uh, by fluke. So, but back to the story, it's actually a strange story. I stayed in a hotel in Galway one night and, and we were on the breakfast show talking about our favourite biscuits. And I said my favourite biscuits were bourbon creams and custard creams. Like two of the most generic biscuits. Mm. But I just love simple stuff, generic stuff like that. So I stayed across the road in the mall and when, when I checked into the room there was two packets of biscuits on the bed. Bourbon creams and custard creams. And I put a photo up and I said they're on the ball. I just love good marketing yeah. and I always say this to you as well. I just love when people go the extra mile rather than sending you a pair of socks and say, here, wear them. Yeah. They're our socks. Yeah. But no, think about it. Design a sock that you actually want to wear that might have a picture of your dog on it or yeah. something that happened and give you a reason to get excited about it. And it was like this in the hotel. They got me, they got me excited about two packets of biscuits. It cost them two euros. The price was on them. Mm. One euros each. <laughs> two euros but I got excited so I had a photo up but anyway three or four months later this this person that was kind of being a bit persistent uh, showed up to my car and I'd go for a walk every evening around the same time half eight nine o'clock around the same time I'd always park in the same spot and then I'd always park in the same spot because I'm a bit weird I always like to have no cars around me in case the door would hit my car yeah, yeah, yeah. so I kind of park at the edge of the car park away from everyone and I came back to the car one night and he was standing there with two packets of biscuits he was standing there with a packet of bourbon creams and a packet and of And did you know who it I was at the time? I didn't. It took, it took me a minute. But, but you'd recognise his photo from maybe conversing I, online, is it? No, I did, his photo didn't jump out. Like, I didn't, I never saw him really, mm. you know. Um, my first brush was with him was in a hotel that I had ate in a hotel with a girlfriend. And he messaged me when I left. And that's when it started. And that went on for a few months. And then when he landed the car... With the biscuits, that was a different story altogether then. So I had to, and then there was another night where he spotted me outside the Chinese and I don't know, at that stage I was like, 
is he following me or was he outside the Chinese? I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know. So it got a bit scary then. Yeah. And how do you draw a line? Like, how do you like say stop? I, did and, you get an injunction or? No, I, I did. I did report it just to be on the safe side. And it wasn't that I wanted anything done about it. I yeah. didn't say, I didn't want them to go to his house. I didn't want them to say anything or do anything. But I just wanted it noted that this is what I've seen over the last few weeks. And I feel a little bit uncomfortable about it. And uh, I blocked him then and that, that was the end of it. Thank God. I hope this doesn't come across sexist. But, I mean, we're blokes talking about this. And this is probably happening to female oh, influencers it is. out there. No, it is. Wow. I, I've lo- most of my friends are female influencers. Gary, you would be horrified if you saw their DMs. Horrified. Getting DMs from all walks of life. People you would least expect. People in the public eye. And it's... it's Coming on to them or being abusive? No, well, a bit of both, but more so coming on to them. They're the ones I've seen. And I've physically seen them. I've seen them in person. You know, I've been in a bar with with female influencers and somebody well-known would send them a message telling them they wanted to be with them and this kind of stuff. And it it's it shocks me mm. because I'd find it hard to send these kind of messages to somebody I've been <laughs> I've been chatting to for yeah, six yeah, weeks, yeah, yeah. not just slide into their DMs and say, how are you doing? I'm I'm such a one. What are you at later? And they're a bit more graphic than that. Yeah, yeah. But it's scary. Wow. Yeah. We'll move on from social media because there's so many other strings to your bow as I was talking about at the start. Talk to me though about gin, cookie gin, because you were never, I don't know if things changed since, but when I, since I've known you, you were never a big drinker. You know, you were, you were one of the, the, f- the few in the circle who could actually discipline and control themselves. It was, it was one of the big things when I brought out the gin was like, sure, you don't even drink. What are you doing bringing out gin? And it spiraled from, this was when my page took off. I kept saying I have big news coming soon. So I, my page took off because I was doing this diary on, on how to become an influencer. So day one of how to become an influencer was tell the company you're running low on something. So I was drinking a bottle of water and go, oh my God, I can't believe this is my last bottle of water. And then, uh, who was it? River Rock sent me two cases of water. For real? Oh yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah. Because so, I remember in the radios sometimes... I'd forget to bring dinner and I'd put this, oh, I'm starving now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on till midnight. And Suddenly a supermax yeah, would land yeah, at the door. Yeah. Yeah. It worked in the early years, not so much in the latter years. I remember that happening yeah, as well. It was brilliant. So I, I kind of played up to that and it wasn't that I wanted the free stuff, but I was trying to showcase that this is what's happening. This is what influencers are doing. And I, I think the influencer is, is a dirty word because some influencers take the pace. And I think they can they can abuse the system a little bit too much. Whereas, you know, if you know, I bring it out T-shirts and somebody goes, oh, I really like those T-shirts. I, you know, and they keep messaging you saying, I really like those T-shirts. I really like those T-shirts. And then they get the T-shirt and they just want to be seen to have, to have got the T-shirt. Yeah. But, and I think some of them are, are not genuine and they're giving the, the whole industry a bad name. So I was kind of playing up to that a little bit. And I was saying, oh, my water's running low. And this is my favourite water. And when this is gone, it's gone. And then River Rock contacted me and said, hey, we'd love to send you two cases of water. And I said, bring it on because I was, I was going to do another funny video. I didn't want the water. Yeah, yeah. I didn't care about the water. But the water arrived th- then and I did this sketch where I was out uh, in the garden. It was actually flavoured water and I was using the water for everything. I was out, I was putting it in the window washer of the car, <laughs> lemon and lime water in the window washer of the car. I was washing my hair with it in the shower. The dog was drinking it and I was just using it for everything. Yeah, yeah. And that, I just tried to turn everything funny all the time. And uh, that, that's kind of where that came from. So then I kept saying I have big news coming soon because influencers would, would use this to, to build up hype. And I get that and it's fantastic and, I, and, I, and I'm all for it. And I think you know, businesses should do it and I think influencers should do it because you have to create the hype and get people involved and bring them along with you on the story, whether they're engaged with the hype when it's announced or not. Well, that's the thing. It has to be big news when it comes then. <laughs> so I was in a deli counter one and I had no big news. Okay. I started every story with, hi guys, sorry I haven't been on in ages. I could have been on three minutes ago, but I would just start with, sorry I haven't been on in ages. I've just been super busy. And like, it was funny at the time because a lot of influencers were doing that. But who were they apologising to? Mm-hmm. No one is going, 
where have you been? Why haven't you been on since four o'clock today? So I was lapping that up and then I kept ending every story with, I've got big news coming soon. And I didn't. I had no big news and I had no intention of bringing out big news. I was only having the crack. And a fella from a deli counter was serving me one day and every time I'd go in, he'd, his eyes would light up and he'd be like, oh yeah, and I'm following you and I'm a big fan. And I'd say, thanks very much. And this is all very awkward to me in Castlebar, a man making my sandwich, telling me he's a fan. And mm. he walked out behind the deli and handed me the sandwich instead of handing it over the counter. And I was like, oh my God, what's going on here? And he leaned into me and he goes, what's the big news? <laughs> As if I was going to tell this complete stranger what my big news is that I've been building up for six months. And I went out to the car and I said, Shite, I need to go and get news. And I started thinking, what can I do? Can I do hats? Can I do mugs? Can I do hoodies? But everything had been done before. And, and I had it hyped up so much that I said, if I release a hat now, it's just going to be such an anticlimax. Yeah. And then because Cookie, my dog, is such a big part of my life, everyone was 100% sure it was dog beds or dog jackets. Okay. So I kind of went with that and I kind of kept pushing the Cookie thing, Cookie, Cookie, Cookie. And then when you bring out a brand of gin named after your dog, everyone was just like, what? What the hell? And I wanted it so left of centre to get everyone talking. As a marketing stunt, and just to say I did that. It wasn't about making money and it wasn't it wasn't for the attention. It was just a pure marketing stunt that I could stand back and use as a as an example. Like I'd love to go into businesses and give them these examples yeah, that yeah. I that I'm giving you. Because it was like it was crazy. A man that never drank. He keeps himself to himself. He doesn't go out very often. He doesn't have an awful lot of friends. His page is just him and his dog. Then he releases a gin named after his dog. Mm. So it was Cookie Irish Gin and I could have got any gin. I went over to the distillery in Balna and we could have got the gin that's there. Not saying there's anything wrong with it, but we could have got any gin and just put it in a bottle, labelled it. But I said, no, I want it to be unique. I want it to be different. I want it to be on a par with the likes of Drum Shambo and Dingle and all these. How do we do that? So they said, you have to get a spirit consultant. And I said, right, and that's going to cost big money. I'm not going to go into the details of how much that costs, but it cost a lot of money, the price of a car at least. And wow. I said, right, let's do it. Because when I do it, I don't want anyone saying you did it for the money or you're ripping us off. And I wanted it. I wanted people to taste it and go, geez, I tasted that and it's actually nice. And I didn't want to make money myself. Now, this is my biggest downfall. And this when you when you when you tell me that list, it scares me the amount of things I've done. And I still haven't anything to show for it in a lot of ways. But the gin, I just wanted it to be the best gin we could get. So we got Julia over from Germany. She created four samples. 90% of the people we gave the samples to. This was all hush-hush at the time. This mm. was all cloak and dagger stuff. I was calling to people's houses at 11 o'clock at night. Taste this. Don't tell anyone. Promise you won't tell anyone. Gone again. And like I had this real tight circle. And I was stressing out that somebody would find out or somebody would know. Yeah, of course. And about a week before we launched it, somebody who I considered one of my really good friends at the time messaged me, giving me abuse that he found online I had registered Cookie Spirits Limited and started somebody I know all my life. But they obviously hadn't gotten any of the samples. They so knew they, nothing about it. They, knew nothing, okay. they just knew there was big news, but they weren't in the circle of trust. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then I got a screenshot to say I'm the founder, the CEO of Cookie Spirits Limited. And I got a message saying, this was about a week before we launched. What do you know about alcohol? This is a joke. Oh, you, right. you, you're going releasing your own alcohol kind of job. And then I started panicking then that it was going to get out. And look at if it got out, it didn't matter. But I just wanted to kind of ride it out. I, had, I was six months working on it. I was six months. I had no money. I was working hard on this big secret, this big news, just to see what the reaction would be. And then we, re we released Cookie Gin. Uh, made by this world-renowned spirit consultant, Julian Ernie. She came over to Ballina, she made it, and it was a great success in terms of people bought it and people liked it. It was huge. And you still produce it? I produced a second batch this Christmas, but I, I only did that because anyone who bought a first... So what happened last year, a lot of people bought two bottles. They bought one to keep because it was the first batch, and then they bought a second one to drink. Mm. But they loved it so much. And I'm not. this isn't a sales pitch because I'm, it's not going to be a long-term thing. They genuinely love it. Anyone that tastes it loves it. So a lot of people were asking me to do it again. And I was hemming and hawing and hemming and hawing about it until one day I was in Ackle Island. I was on Ackle Island during the summer and a woman came up to me and she goes, Alan, 
I need a bottle of gin. She said, I'm a huge gin drinker. I'm a huge fan. She named out five or six different brands. Yours is the best I've ever tasted. It's so smooth. I need more. Akil is an hour from me. I went home and I had a three quarters of a bottle in my house. And I got it. And the next day I went down to her caravan and I gave it to her. And I said, look, it's open. There's a mouthful gone out of it. But there you go. You're welcome to it. And it's the only one I had. Now I have bottle number one that it's, it's in a cabinet. And when I saw the reaction on her face, I said, I want that. I, I want to give more people that. If people want it and they're that excited about it, I want to do it again. So we brought out a second batch for Christmas. But as I said to you... It, but why wouldn't you keep it going then? Because when we, we're doing batches, Gary, we're talking about bottle, 500 bottles at a time. And you can't, you can't sustain it because you need to be buying... I'm buying, say, I might buy 1,200 bottles from the company. That company only deal in 10,000s. Okay, yeah. So for Alan Clark to ring them and ask them for 1,200 bottles, I'm a pain in their ass. Yeah. And then they charge me through the nose because they don't want me. So I can't get, I can't get the margins, I can't get the caps down, I can't get the corks down, I can't get the bottles down, I can't get the labels down because I'm dealing in thousands, yeah. 1,000 at a time when their minimum order quantities are 10,000 and they're doing the distillery a favour because the distillery rang them and said, how are you? We really like this guy. So until I get, I, how do you go from 1,000 to 10,000? Money. Yeah. I don't have that money to invest in it. And how, because you were saying that, the you know, getting the, the spirit consultant over and having her help out, you know, it was a huge investment, cost money. How did you even get the money together for that? All my savings. I, I, I've just been, not that I have a lot of savings, but I had a few pounds saved up. And I went to the director of a supermarket and he told me, I went to him and I pitched the idea to him and he said, you won't sell 10 bottles. He said, it's ridiculous. You're naming your gin after a dog. You're coming out, you're bringing it out at Christmas. It's going to be 40 euros or however much it was last Christmas and Dingle and all these other brands are going to be slashing the price of theirs by 50%. He said, I'll buy 10 bottles off your sale of return. And I said, look, I think it's going to be a little bit more successful than that. I had 300 in my head. That's the target I had in my head. So I went to Supervalue, the, the, the owner of Supervalue in Westport, and they own nine Supervalues, Noel Kavanagh, and I sat with him. And he said, I don't know anything. I don't know much about social media, and I don't know this, that, and the other. But I was telling him the story, and I, I pitched it to him, and I told him the story. The, the other commercial director had said I wouldn't sell 10 bottles. And I, I said it to him, I said, is your wife on social media? And he said, oh, she is, yeah. And I said, do you know, does she follow Pip O'Connor or any of these? And he says, yeah. And I said, has she ever bought a pair of her jeans? I said, ah, don't talk to me. So I said, when I'm online promoting gin or I send a bottle of gin to Pippo O'Connor, do you think would your wife buy it? And he said, yeah, she probably would. She probably would. So then I broke down all the fees and how much everything cost me. And he sat back in the chair and he goes, who's funding this? And I said, me, I've put all my money into it. These are my savings and that's how much I've put into it. And he just sat back in the chair and he looked at me and he started tapping his pen and he, there was a little smile on his face. And he says, uh, he says, you have some balls. And I said, well, I don't know if it's balls or stupidity, but I'm going to give it a go. And I'm confident that I'll sell 300 bottles. And if I don't, I'll come back in and I'll take them off you. And he turned around to me and he said, we had gone from 10 bottles to 10 bottles sale return to 300 bottles s- sold. Don't worry about the return. Wow. So I walked out of that meeting, went over to the distillery and said, I'm after selling 300 bottles to Supervalue. Excellent. Yeah. And, you know, fair play to, to Noel as well in Supervalue for Mega. supporting. Like uh, anytime I'm in town, I purposely try and, you know, if, if we're browsing on a Sunday, go into the locally owned shops and support local businesses yeah. as much as possible. And I still buy stuff online from places overseas and so on. But it's great when you have local businesses like Supervalue and Noel who owns nine places supporting another local business. And the other thing he did was he gave me a stand. He told me to go and design a stand. And you can, you you go into any supermarket at Christmas, floor space is a premium Mm. and they're all fighting for it. Diageo, everyone's fighting for it. He told me the dimensions. He said, make a stand that holds four shelves, three bottles wide, three bottles deep and put one of those stands in every one of my five. No, I was only in five of their stores. And he said, I'll give you the space in the five stores. 
So that was just another level. And I went, went into one of the stores and I don't know if they'll appreciate me saying this story, but I went into one of the stores and I said, how are you doing? I'm here to deliver the cookie gin. And your man says, well, where are you going with that? Where are you going with that? What's this? And I said, it's cookie gin. It's a new gin. It's out. I've Basically, I didn't want to say your boss okayed it. <laughs> the owner okayed it. But I was trying to say to him, look, it's come from head office. I met the, the owner of the flipping place. And he goes, he grabbed me by the ear and he walked, marched me over to um, Graham Norton's stand. And he looked over it and he goes, if he can't sell gin in here, you're not going to be able to sell it. <laughs> and I'm here looking at Graham Norton and Graham Norton is looking back at me and I'm going, Jesus, maybe, maybe I won't sell it. I'm looking at Graham Norton going, yeah. and a full shelf. And then I started panicking. But thank God we did. We sold the 300 bottles. And did you make a profit then by selling 300? No, there was no, we lost money on the first batch. All right, okay. Yeah, we lost money because the label design cost so much, the branding cost so much, the bottles, Yulia, everything cost so much that there was no money. I lost money the first year around. I hope to break even this year and then I'll probably wind it up. But would you be interested in selling it to like a Diageo or something like that? Oh, I'd love, like I, I'd love to see it in every super value in the country because I love the brand. I love the colours of it. I love mm. the connection it has. Mm. I, I love the connection people have to it. And overall, it's a fantastic product. Mm. It's just I can't get the margins down to make it a viable business. Yeah. It would need somebody to come in like Conor McGregor. Not saying that I support Conor McGregor. He's gone to feck lately. But I'm saying it would need that type of person to come in and say, I see everyone now is investing in Muff. You know, in, in um, Laura uh, Whitmore, is it? Or okay. Is that her name? The one who did Love Island as a host, is it? Yeah. I don't know about... I know... I only realised there recently Niall Horn is behind Jim and Coffee as an investor. A load of people are after investing in Muff Distillery mm-hmm. anyway. I think even um, George Clooney could have been mentioned. Right. So it would take somebody like a big celebrity to come down and put a couple of million into it, get it into every supermarket in the country. And it would take off. Yeah. It definitely would. Because it's a fantastic product. And this is often the, the problem for businesses where, you know, you reach a certain level, but you need that support, whether it's experience or financial or whatever, to take it to the next level. And, you know, sometimes that just doesn't work for businesses. But hopefully, yeah. you know, the fact you have a great product. And it's interesting what you were saying of, you know, you wanted to invest in getting the best gin that you could possibly make. Because it goes back to what I was saying earlier. That's just the type of guy you are. Yeah. You know, which is great. And then I was on social media a few weeks ago and <laughs> another venture. Northern Hemisphere. Yes. That was always the dream. Okay. It was always the dream to bring out my own clothes. When I was DJing in nightclubs years ago, I was buying AC hoodies. I had an AC logo and I was selling a few, like maybe five or six a year. And I always had a dream to bring out my own brand. And then I teamed up with Port West a few years ago and that went really well and it was really successful. And I just always had a dream to bring out my own outdoor clothing. And then I, I done a video where I got a changing robe and I got it in Duns at the time and I just sat, went in front of the mirror and I done a little piss take trying on my changing robe and it got hundreds of thousands of views, went totally viral. And then I put the wheels in motion, I need my own changing robes. So I started trying to source my own changing robes and they're all so expensive and fair enough, you could get cheap ones here, there and everywhere and put your brand on them. But I wanted to go and make them from scratch. So I went to Turkey, I uh, got a factory in Turkey to produce these high quality changing robes, Sherpa fleece lined. How, how does, like, do you just, in your house in Castlebar, start Googling no, I started, places where they make robes? I started contacting manufacturers in Ireland, people I knew in Ireland that were more manufacturing clothes and bringing in clothes. Okay. And I basically knocking on doors, have you any contacts, have you any contacts, who's the best, who's the, and... I'm really lucky with the people I've met and they've, you know, and I think that's really good about business people that aren't afraid to give you contacts. Sometimes you ring somebody and you say, who built your website? Mm. And you're like, oh, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> can't remember who it was. Yeah. What difference does it make? Yeah, yeah. Just try and help the next yeah, person, you know, yeah. give them a leg up. And yeah. I always say the best way to succeed in life is to help others to succeed. So if somebody rings me for a tip or somebody rings me looking for a supplier, I'll give it to them. You know, and then I'll ring the supplier and say, I'm after giving your details to Gary Kelly there and see see what happens, see if anything comes of it. So I've just kept knocking on doors. Then we got samples and they nearly knocked it out of the park straight away. And there was a few things we wanted changed. We wanted the logo 
maybe a little bit bigger and the inside pocket wasn't big enough for a Samsung phone but it was big enough for an iPhone so over and back over and back over and back so the the dream was to bring out my own changing robe but then I started thinking sure will people just buy a changing robe I might have to get hoodies so then I got hoodies and then I thought sure I've nothing for women really I'll have to get something for women and then I borrowed more money and got investors and brought out women's fleeces and then somebody said, well, we're kind of going to have to get leggings. And I said, well, I don't know anything about leggings. <laughs> so we had to go researching leggings and getting leggings made. And it just turned into this this huge thing then. And it spiraled out of control. And I left my job in May and went in full time to organising the launch in Northern Hemisphere. We launched on the 16th of November. And I hadn't the price of my breakfast in the weeks leading up to it. I had everything. I hadn't been working. I had no gigs. I had no money. And it had to work. And I, I was pumping everything into it to work. And thank God it got off to a great start. Wow. Mm. So you just take Leroji for all that. I, a lot of people say that to me, but I don't know if it's Leroji or stupidity because I just, you know, I could cut corners. I could have done things a little bit easier. I could have started with a hoodie and made life an awful lot easier. I could have had, I left my job in May, I could have had a, a hoodie out the next month. But I, I didn't. So why do you push yourself as much as you do? I don't know. I don't know, to be honest, Gary. I don't know. I don't know. I recorded a podcast last night and a, ma- and a man asked me, are you ever going to settle down? Are you ever going to meet somebody, you know? And I said, um, I can't at the minute because I need to fix whatever this is mm. in me before I can meet someone and settle down and give them my attention. But does that even... Give them the attention they deserve. Is that something you even aspire to right now of settling down with someone? Oh, I'd love to meet someone. I'd love to meet someone and settle down. But I I, I also recognise that it wouldn't be fair to bring them into this mm. because I'm a lunatic. Like, I'm going from six o'clock in the morning until, like I was up last night until half four and I was up again this morning at half seven. You were up until half four this morning. Yeah. So I was up working until half four and then I went to bed oh. for a few hours. I got up at half seven. I went into, I, I was starving. I had nothing in the house. I went into McDonald's, got a drive through McDonald's. Um, an amazing bacon and egg thing. And I went to work and I was packing orders. Then I, I packed all my orders this morning, came here to do this. And it's it's difficult because when you when you meet someone and you say to them, I don't have an awful lot of time. Like, and the first thing they say is, oh, well, sure, you'd make time if you cared about me or, you know, mm. if you care, if you cared enough, you'd make time. And it's not that I don't care. It's just that I, I it's so hard to be self-employed. Yeah. And if you take your foot off the gas for five minutes, you know, it's, it's one step forward, seven steps back. And like, I'm planning now for Christmas. Wow. You know, and we're we're talking mid-January and I'm here planning, trying to organise next Christmas. And then I have to worry about how do I get to Christmas? So I, I'm here investing in stock that's going to be arriving in November, but I have to, I have to stay alive <laughs> and I have to pay the bills and keep the lights on until November. And that's very challenging. And you're constantly, constantly trying to come up with ideas and, and thinking in your head. So when you were up till half four this morning, you know, were you buzzing? Were you enjoying it? Or were you like, I hate this? No, I, to be honest with you, I, there's, there's no part of, of the gin or Northern Hemisphere or any of that that I've hated. I don't be buzzing. Mm. People say to me, when I launched the clothes, they said, you must be so excited. I'm so involved in it that you can't get excited. I built the website. I was printing the labels. I was packing the bags. I was ringing Fastway. I was, I was just stuck down in the gutters that you don't get a minute to stand back and go, wow, like, you know, my brother would ring me and say, that was fantastic. You know, the van pulling off full to the brim with stuff the weekend we launched. And you, you don't get the opportunity to enjoy that or get excited. Yeah. Because you're thinking of the next thing. Because you're thinking, you're thinking, have I enough labels? Have I enough bags? Mm. Um, what was wrong with that fleece now that she returned? Or why did she return that? And maybe there was nothing wrong with it. But then you're thinking, oh, I wonder, was there something wrong with it? And maybe she's just not telling me. And you're, you're just thinking a hundred and, and one things. So is this the main thing <laughs> that you're doing now? Th- this is what I want to do. Yeah. So this, you're, you're putting most of your week into this business. 
oh, I'm putting two weeks into this <laughs> per week. I don't have any more ideas in me. I'm, I'm, I'm fully done now. I'm done. <laughs> Can we just extract that in the edit? Yeah. <laughs> and come back to it again in I, another year? Yeah, I've said this a few times. I said it on David Cuddy's podcast. If Northern Hemisphere doesn't work out, I'll, I'll get a job. I'd love to put an unreal CV together and work for somebody. But you've done that in the past. And I, I, do, I don't think anyone who is a... Creative. Is, yeah, is creative. I was going to say, who's the same as us, you know, because we're amazing, Alan, we're amazing. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, like I've been an employee before and I don't think I was... A, I, I would say I was a difficult employee because I would have so many notions and ideas of things that should be done and when they weren't being done, I'd get very um, sulky about it. Whereas I think, you know, when you just go off and you're free to run in the field and do what you want to do, I think it's better for everyone. (laughs) But I think they're the sort of people that we are that, and you know, like you were a retail manager for a big supermarket chain before as well. And yeah, the money was great. But I remember you saying to me at the time, you just, it wasn't for you. Yeah, yeah, I didn't enjoy ticking the boxes and I didn't get the same thrill out of hitting the targets that everyone else got because maybe I found it easy not saying that the job was easy, it wasn't, it was difficult and it was challenging, but I suppose the processes were easy, like you just knew what you had to do and that's the way you had to do it and there was no other way of doing it. Whereas I was looking at biscuits on the shelf thinking if we move them two feet to the left, it would work. Mm. But they're going, well, it might work in Castle Bar, but it wouldn't work in the other 116 stores we have. Yeah. And you weren't allowed to move them two feet to the left. That was challenging, but I, I, I understand what you're saying too. Creative people are hard to employ because of their creativity and, and they want to be going and they want to be seen. And the ideas are constantly changing yeah. and evolving. And but I think I think if Northern Hemisphere doesn't work out, and there's a, there's a good chance it won't, who knows, the prices of everything have gone through the roof now. I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a good go and I'm going to give it as long as it takes until I can see if it's a viable business. But if it doesn't, I'd love to put a, an Unreal CV together and go to a company that would allow you the freedom and get excited about your ideas and get yeah. excited very few companies are like that. They're hard to find. Mm. But I I could turn any company and I don't blow smoke up my own arse about many things. You know, people say you're great at this and you're great at that and you're great at whatever. And I would never really acknowledge it. I'd just say, oh, thanks a million. But there's one thing I do know inside out and that's marketing. And I think I could sell anything. I could sell, I could sell snow to the Eskimos. Mm. And I, if the right business came along, I'd love to work with them and I'd love to, to grow them. But you'd also want, I get a great, I get a great thrill out of, you know, sitting back and saying, I did that, you know, or we did that. You know, I'd love to grow a business or a, like, and I do it. I do work with personalities and, and do work with um, entertainers, influencers, and you see them growing and you see them selling events and you see them selling music holidays. And it's great to be involved in that. You get a great buzz from that. So I'd love to do that on a bigger scale, like work for the likes of Diageo and do a TV ad or do a an unreal marketing campaign. But I'd have to be working from Mayo. <laughs> I wouldn't move to Dublin. Yeah, no, because like when I was young as well, when I think I had no inhibition, so I wasn't afraid to try anything. Like there was multiple things I wanted to do. I wanted to be a, an actor. I wanted to be a director. I wanted to be a radio DJ. You know, I think it's hard to just expect one person to just do one thing you know if I would say what's the legacy you want to leave behind Alan or what's this one thing you want to do and then you're going to be happy till the end of your days there probably isn't one thing is there I always had a chip on my shoulder and I always wanted to be something mm. and I always had this thing in my in my head that oh I'll never be anything and I was all, and it's only when I was a, a manager in Aldi that that kind of hit me and I said to myself what are you doing here I was in there killing myself I was giving out to staff I was a total bollocks to work for because I was just so driven to hit these targets and make some fella down in Cork happy. And then it, then it, then it kind of hit me that, you know, what, what are you trying to be? What are you, you know, what is it that you're trying to be like? And who are you trying to prove it to? So I left Aldi and I set up Alpha Media because I always had the marketing in me and I was always dabbling in it on the side and always helping people at the weekends and in the evenings. I was making videos. Even when we were working in Galway Bay together, we'd always be producing silly videos mm. That might only be us eating a pizza or whatever. But we were always thinking outside the box and pushing ourselves to do more, even if the company didn't appreciate (laughs) it or didn't want it. We were always just doing it anyway. And so I set up Alpha Media then 
and that was ticking away. And then I went back to radio then because you're out of the, the you, you see, you weren't allowed to have another job when you're with Aldi. You're not allowed to work any more hours because you're working so many and you need so many rest hours. Mm. So I had the freedom then to go back and do a few things. And then I realized, sure, you are something, you know, mm. you're, you're a worker. Yeah. That's the best thing you could be. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. And, and I don't mind what I'm doing. If I have to go out, and I've always said this, I have no disrespect to people who sweep the roads, but I'd go out sweeping the roads. I don't care as long as I'm working and I can pay my bills. And you're enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you're, that's the main thing. Yeah. I, I'm a bit of a job hopper because if I don't get the respect, I'd leave. You know, and it's, it's probably a bit of a contradiction because some people would say to me, oh, when you were a manager in Aldi, you were a bit of a bollocks and you weren't very respectful. But I soon realized that the pressure was so intense on me. I was putting that pressure onto them. Yeah. And then I, that's when I became unhappy. When I was trying to make Mary do the bread section in 34 minutes. And it just wasn't possible. You know, and the manager come down to me saying, how come Mary took 39 minutes to do the bread? And then suddenly you're going out on the floor and you hate Mary. Yeah. You know, and you're like, you're looking at Mary going, there's Mary, you can't do the bread in 34 minutes. And then I <laughs> Mad, soon yeah. realised like, what's this about? What's it all about? So finally then, what brings out the best in you? Like when is Alan just so content, so happy? Jeez, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough question. That's a tough question. I'm, I'm happiest when I'm in nature. I'm a, if I'm at the beach or in the middle of a forest or on top of a mountain or out kayaking, that's when I'm happiest. And is that when you get your most creative space? No, my, my creativity comes in the shower. Okay. Every time I go into the shower. So you like have 20 minute showers. Oh, people <laughs> go off the head with me. Yeah, I live on my own now at the minute, but I remember girlfriends or even friends that I'd live with. I'd be in there half an hour. And I wasn't doing anything, only washing my hair 14 times, coming up with a few ideas. That's all. I wasn't yeah. doing anything else. Yeah. So a lot of creativity would come in the shower. I'd be in the shower and I'd start thinking. So I was in the shower this morning and a friend of mine is a comedian. And I came up, for, I came up with an idea for an intro to his show. And I got out of the shower and I was standing there with a towel around me and I sent him a voice note. Hey, you might think I'm completely mental, but here's an idea I have, blah, 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 blah. And I sent it to him. He just sent me back, him roaring, laughing down the phone at me like. Brilliant. So that's, that's where I get my ideas. But no, when I'm in nature, I suppose it's a break away from your phone. Now, some people would say you're at the top of a mountain taking a photo. I don't climb the mountain to be seen at the top of it, but I love sharing. I love sharing what I'm seeing with people. I genuinely do it mm. because I want them to see it. I don't, I'm not doing it for the likes. If I'm out kayaking in Clue Bay, I want people to see how beautiful and how accessible it is. You know, somebody would say, how do I, how do I, how do you do that? Like, number one, you can just buy a kayak or number two, you can just rent one off A, B and C. But people don't think that's, you know, that's a thing. You know, out in the middle of Clue Bay, looking back at Crowpatrick, surrounded by islands, it's just the easiest thing in the world to do. But people don't know that. Mm. And that's why I love putting that stuff up online to show people. It's not, hey, look at me, I'm in the middle of the islands. It's, it's come on, come out and do this. You do it. I remember recently, it was actually, was it last May or something? Or March, March I think it was, we climbed Crowpatrick. We were there for Goway Hospice. And we had no intention of climbing it. We were just there doing a shoot for Goway Hospice at the, the base and then Damien, one of the videographers, said, come on, we climb it. And I never did it. So I thought, oh, sure, grand, like, it'd be up in half an hour. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, coming up and going down, which is just as hard. I remember Alan Clark did this every day for... Seven days in seven a row. Seven days. That was... You were doing it for charity at yeah, the time. Yeah, I did it for autism at the time, yeah. That was crazy. Because it's, wow. Yeah. It's, like, you must have been shattered. Like, I felt great when I came down and I knew that was it and that I'd crack open a can of fizzy something for myself later on and, and kind of pamper myself and have a nice, you know, bath and throw in loads of essential oils in. And well done you, Gary. You did great. Yeah. The idea of actually facing it again the following day, let alone for seven days. It's interesting that you brought that up because I, I want to do it again this year. 
I was, I was what age? 24 or 25 at the time. And I found it quite easy at the time. Not that I've ever been... In fairness, you did look shattered. Oh, hey, it was challenging. It was challenging because the weather and then... And you were working at the time. Oh, I was going up and down to work every evening. I was working in Galway Bay, I think, at the time, wasn't I? 8 to 10 or something. But looking back, I was probably at my fittest. Not that I've ever been super fit, but that's probably one of my fittest times. What I found that time was you don't you don't realize number one the time it takes number two the expense it takes to get over and back to to Crowpatrick mm-hmm. climb Crowpatrick take the time off work have dinner go and get your essential oils go and get your Epsom salts go to the sauna whatever all that takes money and you've raised a thousand euro but it's cost you three hundred and fifty euros you know yeah you don't you don't uh, you don't take that into consideration at the time but I have a goal this year to do it again. I want to do it one Have more Have you not just heard what you said a minute ago? <laughs> no, I want to do it one more time and, and I'll enjoy it more this time because I want to do it, I want to prove to myself that I can do it again. So what was it, 15 years ago you did it last? Or? About that, yeah. About and the body, the body, and you, look, you look physically amazed. No. Oh, but it's a different story now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. totally. Because I play a bit of AstroTurf and I know now I'd, I'm two days, three days recovering whereas I'd play AstroTurf seven nights a week back then. So I'm, I'm, my body is, sure, I'm, 40, I'm 38 now, you know, but it's totally different. But I want to do it again. I want to raise money and I, want to, I have a particular charity in mind. I have a target in mind and I want to have a bit of fun with it this time. I was very alone last time doing mm. it. And I remember I tried to bring in the radio station and, and try and do something there as well. And there was a bit of a conflict because it was a Mayo landmark and you're on a Galway radio station. So you couldn't do much at the time. But I want to do something this year where I do it seven days in a row and bring people along with me. So try and bring in different influencers on particular days. Sure. So you have Cowboy Kelly booked in on the Monday and you might have Karen O'Malley booked in on the Tuesday and such a one. So that that's that's bringing you on. I mean, it's well worth doing it just to see Karen O'Malley sweat. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to, yeah. Actually, I think they're, the headphones you're wearing actually used to be ones that Kieran wore when he was doing a podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, years ago, yeah. I think G, GP might be on. These are worth money, so. Is for a Galway player, is yeah. Is that what you're saying? I'm telling you, yeah. And I First kinda, batch. I have, a, I have an idea to record a podcast as you're walking up and down. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how, how achievable that would be, but to talk, to talk to people and because... Crowpatrick really brings a lot of realizations to you as well. Everyone you meet on the on the mountain is is doing it for the same reasons. And you can stop and talk to anyone on that mountain. And everyone on the mountain will stop and talk to you. Yeah, true. If you walk down Shop Street and you try talking to somebody, they'll keep going. Yeah. They... When you're on Crowpatrick, it doesn't matter. How are you getting on? Not too bad. How did you find it? Ara Grand now, I'm on the way down. You're nearly there. <laughs> keep her late. Not too bad now. Oh, the amount of people I'd love to curse who kept saying to me, you're nearly there when they're on the way down. Yeah. And I was only halfway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a cruel trick they play or the odd lad, newbies. The odd lad wearing jeans, like I do always say to them, if I spot the jeans going up, I go, jeans was a bad choice. <laughs> and he's there going, he's probably laughs, but in the inside he's like, oh, stop, leave yeah, me alone. Yeah. No, it's great fun. So I'd love to do that again. So I might rope you in one of the days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, even I, I can happily help out doing some podcast recordings for you going up because at least that gives me an excuse to have to stop about 20 times <laughs> as, as I ascend. But yeah, no, it's funny because afterwards we were all buzzing and we were like, oh, we've to do that again, we've to do that again. And it hasn't happened yet. So maybe yeah. it's a good incentive to actually make it happen again. Oh, you get a great sense of achievement from it, mm. don't you? Yeah. And that's what's so fantastic about nature. That you just, you go out there, you climb that mountain and you can forget about everything for those few hours you're out on the mountain. Yeah, and look, we're climbing it, you know, for that personal challenge. You know, there's other people climbing it because, you know, there's hardships going on in their life. Yeah. And they're trying to raise funds for loved ones or whatever, you know, so. Yeah. uh, And it's great that we are mobile enough to do it. Absolutely. You know, it might take us four hours, but we can fall asleep in the car. Yeah, we definitely don't appreciate how good we have it. Yeah. We definitely don't. Well, continued success. Well, thanks very much. Uh, Pleasure. As always talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm delighted you could because I know you have 101 things going on at at the moment. I'm going out the door now two foot taller after all the titles and all the the nice things you (laughs) said to me. I get that framed for you now and send it. I'll have to come in here more often for a confidence boost. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely talking challenge. Thanks, Gary. 
Thanks again to Alan for taking time out of his very busy schedule to come in and join me here on Gary Talks in our GK Media Studios. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I certainly got a lot from it. And please do spread the word about Gary Talks. You can follow us on Instagram, TikTok and LinkedIn. And you can give us a nice five star review as well or even just share links of the podcast with your friends on WhatsApp. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week. And I'll be back again this Friday for a short bonus episode of Business Bites. Take care.